Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that, as always, brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects that you are interested in in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles. We have a massive agenda of news for you today, uh, which I'm sure you'll be happy to know, especially as we are now uh, into the January window. However, we are going to start with Manchester United. Uh, There will be some transfer news involved in this, but... um, it seems that Ralph Ranjuk, uh, who, of course, has only been there uh, for uh, three or four weeks, um, is already ruffling a lot a lot of feathers, especially amongst some of the more preening uh, prima donnas uh, in his dressing room with regards to his tactics and the way that he is behaving towards him. Uh, One source told the transfer window that uh, there was a uh, possibility that Rannick's reign would uh, descend into farce. And another source told us that Manchester United are already looking uh, for a new coach um, to employ next summer, which of course Rannick, as we told you, uh, on the transfer window was um, quite bullshy about the idea that he would get the job full time. Um, Duncan, you've had some very interesting insight uh, f- uh, regarding uh, Ranić's behaviour uh, as well as um, what the players think about him. Um, so do you think he's going to survive? <laughs> Well, I, I think what you mentioned about Ranić's self-confidence, um, the way he entered the job with his idea being that he would be the manager of Manchester United beyond the interim period. Obviously, when Manchester United hired him, the, the statement made it clear he was an interim and they were lo- already looking for the, the full-time appointment, as they like to call them, for the summer. But from Ranić's perspective, he came in thinking he would be the manager and and in that very first press conference said if if they were to ask me now um should I continue then my answer would be yes I see myself as more of a coach um than anything else at present it is not working at the moment now from Ranić's side the the reason it's not working and I think this is a valid um excuse or explanation is the impact of covid uh, with Manchester United, uh, one of the clubs that have one of the lowest vaccination rates in the Premier League, having to shut down the training ground at one point, losing several players, having matches cancelled, but more importantly, um, missing out on training time. And remember, Ranić is trying to make a radical change to the way the team play. He's trying to turn this Manchester United squad um, which has not been tactically disciplined for a long time because they had a um, a very poor coaching staff in charge for, for three years into one that operates in something like the way all of his teams, all of his successful teams have, have operated during his coaching and technical director career. So pressing, being 
a fundamental part, winning the ball back quickly being a fundamental part. And it is a big change um, to what they've been doing before and not entirely suited to the personnel he inherited. He has a massive squad, the biggest first team squad in Premier League football, one of the biggest in European football, something which is causing him problems. And, and this is another explanation that's coming from the Ranyuk camp is he has too many players and, and therefore too many unhappy players because they're not, not getting playing time. But more importantly, hasn't had the training ground time to get his ideas across. Um, certainly it looks like that on the football field. The way the team is playing is poor. They're not pressing. Ranić himself um, has talked about the failure to do what he wanted on the pitch in the, in the Wolverhampton game. Uh, they were very poor against Newcastle United, quite fortunate to get a point out of that match. Um, so you have two, two games there in particular where they've been far off what they need to be if they're going to qualify for the Champions League, which is what he was brought in to do and it's what, what the Glazers want. Now, take this from other voices, so voices that aren't in Ranić's camp, um, people who were at the club before Ranić was hired and players who obviously have experienced a number of coaches there. Uh, and ask them what the coaching and the organisation has been like, and they say it is poor. Um, they'll say, uh, for example, this is one player saying it's better than under Solskjaer. Um, but then uh, uh, my best friend, who's not a footballer, um, could have done a better job than, than Solskjaer. Um, so they, they say there has been an improvement in the coaching but it is still not to the standard they expect of a club like Manchester United with the resources they have. And they've been surprised that it hasn't uh, improved to the degree that was expected when Ranić came in and the, the, the kind of self-confidence with which Ranić came in and talked about himself and the way he was going to work. And, and incidentally, I'm hearing that, that elements of that self-confidence are kind of uh, melting away around Ranić at present. What they identify as a major problem are the coaches that Ranić hired, in particular, Chris Armas, the, the assistant manager, who he brought um, from American football, from Major League Soccer, albeit not actually an employment when he hired him. Um, Armas was uh, the New York Red Bulls assistant manager um, when Ranić was in charge of the Red Bull a global football organization. He was later promoted to manager of that club when Jesse Marsh was moved from New York to Salzburg, another club in the Red Bull group. Um, he was not a success as manager, um, sacked in September 2020, then went to take over Toronto, another MLS club in January 21, and sacked after 20 games there. Um, what I'm told is that the quality of training under Armas and therefore under Ranić is not of the standard expected by these players and the players are complaining about it. Um, a more um, friendly voice would say, it's not that they're not trying, it's not that they're not putting effort in, it's not that they're not working hard, it's that these guys are MLS, level coaches and they, they also have a, um, a young uh, 
coach stroke analyst, uh, Ewan Sharp, who was uh, also at New York Red Bulls, also Armistice assistant at Toronto, and then worked at Locomotive Moscow under Ranuk for a short period before uh, Ranuk moved to Manchester United. The, the point is that they are MLS level and MLS level is not good enough for the Premier League um, and for the Champions League. Now, coupled with that, you have the problems within the squad um, and, a, and a degree of, of a division within the squad uh, and a degree of dissent within the squad and a degree of players questioning each other. So one source said to me, yes, the coaches are a problem at present and we expected better than this. But the fundamental issue is that too many players within the first team are not working hard enough. They're not running hard enough on the pitch. They're not trying hard enough to implement what the coach is asking them to do. And at this level, if you don't have enough players running on the pitch, you're going to get into trouble against teams like Newcastle United who are fighting for survival with a new manager against teams like Wolves who are notoriously well organized have been playing a very similar system for a long time and uh, and if you and are difficult to score against so if you don't do the work and allow them the opportunity to score the first goal then things like what happened in Manchester United's Premier League game will happen um one other element which i think is important here are the tactics that Ranić is using so he he's basically you switched United to a 4-2-2-2 formation with two holding midfielders in front of a back four, which he's switched around quite a lot, which I think is a, an indication of the lack of quality of centre-backs and, and defenders that he's inherited, something we pointed out consistently in the podcast that, that um, Solskjaer's choices of defensive players had been poor despite record spending in that area of the field. Um, and then used two... <sighs> nominally winger players behind um, usually Cristiano Ronaldo and another forward, often Marcus Rashford recently, Adinson Cavani. Um, this is clearly a strategy from Ranić to try and have Cristiano Ronaldo in the team, him being the most important scorer in the squad and, and to the Glazers, the most important player. Um, and I think within the squad, the most influential figure because of his professionalism and, and his, his career history, but also to get someone alongside him who can compensate for um, Ronaldo not being able to press at the same level as a, as a much younger player. Um, the problem is if you go up against a team like Wolves with that formation, with Wolves using wing backs, um, and your two players in behind Ronaldo and Cavani, or whoever the two central forwards are, are Jaden Sancho and Mason Greenwood, then you are asking Jaden Sancho and Mason Greenwood to do a huge degree of defensive work. They have to come back and take on the wing backs. If they don't do it, the, the, the defensive players get overloaded by, in, in Wolves' case, the three forwards and the wing backs pushing up. Um, and it becomes easy for the other team to dominate possession, easy for the other team to switch play, easy for the other team to, to uh, create chances. So Ranić's got himself into a problem of trying to keep a system that suits his pressing game, which has Cristiano Ronaldo in it, 
which therefore requires him to play, he thinks, two players behind them. Then he wants to get Jaden Sancho and Mason Greenwood in the team. They don't run. They haven't run in their Manchester United career. That's not. Uh, numerous coaches and players will tell you that's an issue with them. Therefore, you get problem upon problem upon problem. And remember, Ranić, and there's something we pointed out in the podcast when he was hired, although he talked himself about himself as being a coach and seeing himself mostly as a coach in the 10 years preceding his appointment to Manchester United manager, he had coached only 88 games in total. So I don't, we're not questioning his quality as a coach, but whether he's able to implement it in this club at this time, having been essentially out of the coaching game at the top level for most of the last decade is the question. And talking to people involved, they do not see him surviving the way things are going at the moment beyond the summer. And therefore it's no surprise that Manchester United are um, reactivating or intensifying that search for a permanent coach in the summer. Well, one person I spoke to, Duncan, who is very, very familiar with Manchester United and who is a UEFA licensed coach, uh, remarked to me that um, in the Premier League, you cannot simply play as narrow as Manchester United do because width is everything with regards to creating chances. And therefore, if you're playing... Uh, two, two, two in front of a back four. Um, yes, you're protecting Cristiano Ronaldo in terms of uh, not being able to track back and and press, etc. But at the same time, um, you can't reinvent football in England uh, just because uh, you want to um, keep one player in a team, or indeed you want to be seen as a uh, revolutionary and a very clever coach. Uh, and that is what's partly causing um, the amount of dissent in the dressing room with regards to Ranić's uh, tactics and also his attitude. Um, look, we did say on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago that um, his uh, forthright attitude and his disciplinary um, approach to the way that he dealt with players was being appreciated in the dressing room because Solskjaer was very pally-pally uh, with, um, in terms of you know, uh, the way he dealt with players. And Ranić um, was certainly not that and was, uh, while not standoffish, he simply did not tolerate um, any kind of uh, dissent or uh, not being uh, adhered to with regards to his um, ideas in terms of training, etc., etc. Now, it seems like this has been the shortest honeymoon period in football history because that has turned around very quickly. Um, and also, of course, we have the issue of uh, the appointment of Richard Arnold as the new chief executive uh, as of February 1. Um, Edward Wood, um, whether he stays on as a consultant or not, is still in the balance. 
Um, but it's certainly the case that if, well, as we know historically, if you are put in charge of a football club of the magnitude of Manchester United, then your career depends upon uh, the success of the team on the pitch and also your choice of your senior management. And it appears to me, uh, and certainly from what I'm told from people inside the club, that Richard Arnold is and has instigated uh, the uh, certain people to research and recommend candidates to um, become manager next summer. Uh, and therefore, Ranić's destiny as, as, as Manchester United coach seems to already have been decided. I don't think it's been decided. I think if, if Ranić can turn it around and get results on the field, um, qualify them for the Champions League uh, next season, which is of fundamental importance to the Glazers, and uh, and potentially win uh, the FA Cup, um, then he has a, he has a very good chance of staying on. But what's clear is he's not utilising the tools available to him in the most efficient way at present, and that's what he was expected to do. It was his choice to bring in Chris Armas. It was his choice to hire. Um, other individuals from the MLS he didn't need to do that. What I think you see is someone who's, you know, his reputation in football, his success in football has been built on constructing football teams by signing young players with uh, the right technical qualities and the ambition to, to be molded into the kind of, uh, tactical system he wants to use and, and that bringing clubs like Hoffenheim and bringing clubs like Leipzig up through the divisions to be serious competitors in the Bundesliga and Leipzig's case to be a, a strong Champions League side. That's one way of working. It's worked very well for him. That's why he is at Manchester United now, but this is a different problem. Um, the formation he's using, uh, the 4-2-2-2 as one coach referred to it in a discussion I had this week, the Dick formation, it, it does, it can work in the Premier League. Um, Southampton have been using it. Ralph Hasenhutl has been using it to good effect. Uh, Arsenal under Arsene Wenger uh, in the latter stages of the, of the invincible period were doing something not too dissimilar to that in that they had the, the two um, nominal wingers playing behind the forwards for long periods. But what you need to do if you use that system is to have very intelligent, hardworking players in those second roles because they have to get into the right places to attack and they have to support the defence when necessary, especially um, in a league now where a back three, back five, wing back system is, is one of the most popular um, ways of playing. It wasn't in Wenger's era and, and it's a system that, that matches up badly to um, the 4-2-2-2 dick formation if you, if you don't have your players doing the right thing. He hasn't solved that problem yet. And that, you know, that's what he's there to do. That's what his expertise was, was brought in for. United did not hire him to go to a grand switch over to copy the, the Leipzig model um, to start from scratch. They, they brought him in to get 
to fix this season. They feel they have um, one of the best squads in the division. I think they're right about that. They've invested a huge amount of money on it. Second most expensive squad in, in world football. Um, it is capable of performing above the level it did under Solskjaer and it's capable of performing above the level it, it is under Ranić. If he can't turn that around rapidly and he's not placed himself in a good position to do that with his initial choices, then he will be changed. And I think you go for candidates to change, it, it, there's a very clear list. There's Maurizio Pochettino, who they tried to, to hire um, before appointing Ranić, but PSG Qatar blocked that. There's every chance that Pochettino's reign at, at PSG will be finished in the summer if he doesn't win the Champions League. He's not popular with the Qataris. They can have another go at Zinedine Zidane, who didn't, who was offered the job and turned it down. I uh, didn't want to move at that particular period of time. There's Eric Ten Hag, who would be a popular um, appointment with the supporters, um, although his preference has always been to to go and work in German football next rather than English football. So there's a degree of persuasion involved there. And then there are even people like Julian Lopetegui, um, who was offered to United at the time um, and could be bought out of his contract uh, at uh, at kind of minimal expense and uh, and possibly has the organisational skills to uh, to sort out the squad and get better performance from them than uh, than Ranić has done so far. You've got some transfer news also about Manchester United uh, in terms of being offered a uh, promising player, Duncan. Yeah, it's uh, Julian Alvarez. There's been a lot of reports from South America that Manchester United had uh, decided to buy him out of his contract at, at River Plate and he would be transferred in, in this window. Um, basically, he's available for 20 million euros. He has a, a, a an enticing release clause in his contract. Um, very talented forward who will do well in European football when, when, he, when he moves there and that's obviously going to be his next destination. I'm told his best position um, rather than than operating as a winger, which he can do, would be as a second forward. So perhaps a, a reasonable fit to United at present, certainly someone um, who has the mentality and the physical capabilities to press. But actually what's happening is, is his agent has been in Europe um, at the start of this month, going around all the big clubs um, having discussions with them, making them clear that the release clause is what it is, uh, talking about the, the, the players' um, financial demands uh, and trying to get one of the, the big, one or more of the big clubs to bite and, and make an offer for the player. Now, he had a conversation with Real Madrid earlier this week. I think from that, you can see what the situation actually is and that United have not. Um, made the decision to sign the player, as has been reported, because the agent wouldn't be having conversations with other clubs if uh, if the clause had already been activated. Well, it seems there's a lot of um, activity with regards to agents uh, doing the tour of clubs uh, in January, um, not necessarily for business to be done this month, uh, but obviously the summer window is uh, a much more probable um, time to to move players on 
and the transfer window understands that uh, our old friend Mino Raiola uh, had a meeting with Borussia Dortmund face-to-face this week um, after uh, Dortmund themselves had been briefing that they were trying to put together a deal which would see Haaland stay at the club uh, rather than move, um, despite the fact, of course, that he has a much publicised release clause which kicks in on May 31 of this year. Uh, It is our information that uh, Raiola respectfully listened to Dortmund's proposal um, with regards to um, what they might be able to offer. However, um, at the end of the meeting, um, said, no, I'm sorry, uh, Erling will not be playing at Dortmund next season. Uh, He'll be playing for either Real Madrid or Manchester City. Now, obviously, uh, as many of you will know, we reported Manchester City's interest in Haaland and the fact that they had agreed in principle to pay what does seem to be very expensive fees with regards to the commission to Raiola and his father, Alfinger, um, never mind the um, contract as well as the transfer fee. Um, I suppose, Duncan, this this does seem to be like a kind of uh, a destiny type story uh, because uh, despite Haaland's um, incredible scoring record uh, in the Bundesliga since he joined Dortmund, uh, he clearly has ambitions beyond that uh, and wants to win major trophies, uh, not least, of course, uh, league titles and the Champions League. And um, the financial uh, rewards that he can expect at either Madrid or City um, are ones which, uh, of course, are extremely attractive. Look, it's no surprise that Raiola has told Dortmund and underlined to Dortmund that um, there's no possibility of the player staying for another season. The release clause is there. Raiola and um, Haaland's father, Alfinger, have been working on a transfer to a bigger club, one of the the European superpowers, for over a year now. Um, Raiola went round those major clubs in European football and discussed uh, the player's demands, his demands. Um, asking what, how they would use him in the team um, before last summer's window. Haaland, in a conversation with intermediaries representing Real Madrid in the summer, told them that that was the club he wanted to go to. Um, Florentino Perez absolutely wants to pair Haaland with Kylian Mbappe in Madrid's attack next summer. They believe and are confident they've got the deal in place to, to uh, sign Mbappe. They have a very good relationship with Borussia Dortmund, are confident that Dortmund will be happy to sell to them at that release clause um, and uh, see the commitment from the player as a, as a great sign. Their one point of doubt is the commission that Raiola is asking for. You reported recently it's a, a world record commission of over 50 million euros that he's requested. Madrid say they will not pay that. So the question mark they have is, 
if another club and Manchester City are obviously in, in great position to do that, are prepared to pay the commission. Manchester City clearly need a centre forward um, and have just sold Ferran Torres to Barcelona, who Guardiola had been using in that position and decided to keep the money from the sale for uh, the summer purchase of a centre forward. Um, Where another club to pay that commission, will Erling Haaland insist on moving to Madrid or will Raiola and his father be able to persuade him that his career is equally well served or better served at a club who are going to pay them that higher commission. That's the doubt for Madrid. You have an, another element here in that Barcelona are now again positioning themselves and briefing that they are active players and want to sign Haaland in the summer. Graham Hunter on this podcast um, last year explained that uh, John Laporta, um, before he became president of Barcelona again, had targeted Haaland and felt he, he could bring him to the club. Then he saw the, the books, um, the real books when he came in and realized it was an impossibility last summer, but now in conversations with Raul again and trying to make it clear that they have fixed their finances, i.e. moved uh, short-term debt into long-term debt, started to move players out, such as Philippe Coutinho, who's gone to Aston Villa on loan um, with an option to buy for the rest of the season today to make room for players like Haaland at the Ferran Torres um, introductory press conference. Laporta said, everybody should get ready as we are back as big players in the market. Um, we are working to strengthen ourselves and we are working on players. We continue to be a benchmark and we have returned wanting to do very well. The resurgence is a reality and the market has noticed it. Now that's great news for Mino Raiola in terms of how we've explained the situation over Haaland. Madrid don't want to pay the commission. The best leverage you can get is John Laporta Barcelona with real money to play with. Um, counterbidding for Haaland, offering him another big club in Spain and Barcelona being prepared to pay the commission in full because then he can go to Madrid and say, well, if you don't, if you don't uh, meet what I'm asking for, I'll let him go to your rivals, not just to Manchester City. I'll let him go to your direct rivals in Spain. So I think there's, there's a lot to be played for here. The central element is what Erling Haaland wants. Um, he's told Madrid through intermediaries that that's his choice. Um, the question is, is he strong enough to stick with it if Madrid don't satisfy his father's and his agent's demands on commission? Well, I'm sure that if um, that's not the case, Duncan, uh, that Dundee United will be an option for him um, and he could spend a season in, in the SPFL um, <laughs> scoring 79 goals <laughs> or the likes uh, in a league <laughs> where uh, it's not too difficult if you're that good a player. Um, however, uh, one other player who's interesting uh other major elite clubs, probably not Dundee United, to be fair, is Antonio Rudiger of Chelsea, who has uh, in the last 10 days turned down Chelsea's latest 
offer of a new contract. Of course, he will be out of contract next summer and therefore uh, his value in terms of uh, what he can demand in wages is uh, increased significantly by the fact there will be no transfer fee. Um, it's our understanding that Bayern Munich and Real Madrid uh, have been in extensive uh, conversations with his representatives uh, with regard to him moving to one of those clubs. Uh, Rudiger, it is understood, um, would be open to staying at Chelsea, but at 29 years old, uh, he realises uh, that this could be, well, it will be probably his last major contract in his career and therefore needs to maximise that financial benefit uh, in terms of where he plays as well as the sporting um, interest in terms of winning trophies. So um, it's it's a difficult situation, Duncan, for um, Thomas Tuchel because he, he, he does have... Um, a lot of um, players out of contract or who want to leave in defence. Uh, ben Chilwell's now out for the rest of the season. Rhys James has been playing in midfield. Uh, there's a lot of talk of uh, Chelsea sending a, a, another left back for ex for great expense in order to cover, um, as well as a right back as well. Um, it, and it, it just seems a little bit unusually chaotic for Chelsea because normally um, they have shown uh, in the past three or four seasons that they can organise themselves in order to be prepared uh, for any eventuality with regards to players leaving um, and ensure that players coming in are of a similar quality. Yeah, they they managed to renew Thiago Silva, who, in my view, is the best of their centre backs. That they're, they're in a, as we've discussed several times, they're in a strange position. They have they had four um, top centre backs going out of contract at the same time. They've resolved one of those. Real Madrid believe they've made Rudiger the best financial offer of all the clubs involved and a, and a financial offer significantly better than, than Chelsea's. Um, but uh, interestingly, they feel that Rudiger's preference would be to stay in London. Um, so they're not 100% convinced they'll get the player. Um, and if Chelsea go to the level of salary that Rudiger is capable of achieving in Spain, or potentially Germany as well, then ultimately he will sign a new contract there. And, and he has been playing the best football of his career, so you have that extra element of um, incentive to stay where, where things are working well for you. Um, we also know that Chelsea tried to sign Jules Koundé in the summer, um, that Koundé wants to come to the club, wanted to come to the club then, had agreed personal terms, that agreement on personal terms remains in place. Chelsea basically misjudged Sevilla in the transfer market in their negotiations in that they they left their form of offer too late. And uh, 
Sevilla Sporting Director Monchi made a point of saying we couldn't accept this offer at this point in the market because we didn't have time to replace him properly. It was more in our interest to retain him um, than to sell at this level. So basically warning Marina Granovskaya, when I tell you we need the deal to be done at a certain time point, um, it needs to be done at that time point. Kundi would like to come in January. I think there's a, an additional complication now um, that Sevilla are in a position to compete for the Spanish title because of um, points dropped by Real Madrid. And this is their first proper chance at competing for the Spanish title in a long time. Um, they also have another centre-back, starting centre-back, Diego Carlos, who is in a contract position where should a large offer come in for him in this window, um, they might prefer to sell Diego Carlos at, at um, an age where he's entering his late 20s um, and where his transfer market will decline um, in the summer uh, and therefore won't let Kundi go uh, now. So I think if Chelsea wanted to, they could they could pay the release clause on Kundi and solve their problems immediately. More likely, they wait to the summer and hope that another club such as Real Madrid, who have been advised to buy Kunde, um, don't come in with a competing offer that's more attractive to the, the player. Um, and and therefore can, I think, hold on this in, in terms of their centre-backs are playing to a standard. It's not as though Rudiger's game has declined while, while he um, goes to war with them or allows his agent to go to war with them over a contract renewal. They're getting the performances on the field. So they do have scope to wait until the summer and uh, see exactly who they can get in to replace if necessary and and which of those centre-backs, including Cesar Aspilicueta, they want to keep enough to, get, to meet their contract demands. So, Duncan, um, you have been very much uh, leading the way in terms of Newcastle United and the takeover, uh, which has resulted in a um, potentially large investment in the squad and in the club. Uh, Kieran Trippier has already joined, uh, although for £12 million it does seem quite expensive, um, if indeed that is the realistic fee. Um, do you expect them, despite the fact uh, that it's been mooted, that they would not be splashing out um, in a very kind of expansive way in the January window? Um, but under the threat of relegation, uh, it could be the case that they need to uh Strengthen the squad in order to give themselves the best chance of staying up. Look, they very much think that, and they are very pleased with the Kieran Trippier deal. They feel like they have made a statement in signing an England international um, who is a good fit to Eddie Howe's uh, preferred way of playing football, uh, an attacking fullback who creates a lot of chances, but is also solid defensively. Um, who has shown his faith in the Saudi Arabia Amanda Stavely project by being the first one to sign on despite threat of relegation. And they, they think that will result in other um, 
high level players coming to join him. They also feel like they've done it on very um, satisfactory financial terms. Their brief is that the initial fee is in the region of 12 million pounds and the maximum they will pay at Letico is 14 million pounds for the player, um, which I think represents good value given the circumstances they are in. Uh, it's a three year initial contract or uh, till the, till the end of, um, uh, two and a half seasons time, initial contract with an option for, for an additional year, um, to, to retain Trippier. Um, and they, they, they say that they wanted that first transfer to be done on, a, on financial terms, which showed the market they weren't going to be taken advantage of because they want a lot of other players in. They're currently working um, on signing starting centre-back, starting left-back, another striker who will probably be a starter because Callum Wilson, on whom their attack is so dependent, has um, uh, serious muscle and Achilles injuries um, and may not play again this season. Um, it's not clear at this stage at what point he'll be able to return, but he's, he is definitely going to be out for some time. They want a central midfielder, a number six, who can also play to some extent as an eight. Um, and at centre-back, they are still focused on their first choice. Uh, they're looking at alternatives, but they're still focused on Sven Botman at Lille, which again, I think is a is an intelligent bit of recruitment if they can make it happen. Um, Botman is super talented, um, is destined to go to the top level of the, the European game um, and should, because of his, uh, his physical characteristics, he should adapt well uh, to, to Premier League football. Um, as we told you, Botman's preference is to move to a bigger club. Um, he's pushing hard. His agent is pushing hard to see if um, a higher status club will make an offer in January. Newcastle have already made one bid to Leo, which was rejected. And uh, they say they're ready to make an improved offer of a, of at least 35 million euros for the player and, and try and force a decision on the player by getting Leo to accept uh, an offer from them. He is on a low wage, less than a million euros net at present. So again, you have, um, I think an intelligent targeting of a player that they can raise the wages for without going, without putting him on a crazy salary and, and have a, a, a top class player with a future in their defense. Um, maybe the Kieran Trippier acquisition will help there because he has, uh, made a statement, although digging behind why Trippier moved to Newcastle, a lot of it was about his desire to return to England, to be closer to his family, who he's been effectively separated from by COVID. Um, he wanted to go to Manchester United in the summer. Atletico blocked that. Diego Simeone was very much against the transfer then and against the transfer now. Um, but uh, I think it's astute work um, so far with a lot more problems to solve. Um, they are also working, as we've told you, on director of football, having interviewed uh, Brighton's director of football, Dan Ashworth, um, who has uh, an offer uh, from Newcastle. 
and has told Brighton about that and Brighton are waiting for him to make a decision having made a, a counter offer and salary as to whether he will, will take that um, role or not. The brief from Newcastle is that he's just one of the, uh, the individuals that are interviewing for that role um, and they expect to have an appointment in place by the end of February at the latest. Um, they're also looking for a new chief executive at present and again, um, expect to have that appointment in place by the end of February. So you, you can see the d degree of work that's going on there and the amount of balls they're trying to juggle um, in this you know, fundamentally important window to them. Uh, pretty much everyone in football thinks if they don't get sufficiently um, high quality players in in this January where they are effectively the biggest players in the market. They've got more money um, to operate with than any of the other clubs are prepared to put into this market. If they don't get that, then they are likely to, to be a championship club by the end of the season. Well, I'm not sure the image of juggling balls is one that I want to think about, but um, apart from that... Uh, uh, it is the case that um, Arsenal are currently uh, speaking to Usman Dembele's agents, uh, the Barcelona uh, striker stroke winger um, is available on freedom of contract uh, in the summer. Uh, he has rejected Barcelona's offer of a new deal um, and Mikel Arteta is someone who uh, rates the player very highly uh, and also Dembele's time uh, at camp now has not been the happiest, um, mainly due to injury, to be fair, Duncan, um, uh, rather than uh, lack of form. But uh, he is a player who has promised so much um, in his early years um he's now obviously 24 and um needs to uh effectively uh up his game as it were um with regards to both avoiding injury and uh proving his form arsenal does seem like quite a good fit for me from for, for dembele but I, i'd struggle to see where he fits into the Arsenal current Arsenal team when you have uh, such an overload of attacking midfielders, both right, left and centre. Um, it seems to me that uh, they would have to sell uh, in order to recruit Dembele uh, in the summer. Look, Dembele is a, a player who's been looked at by top clubs for a while and, and being made available by Barcelona at certain points where they needed to get high earners off the wage bill. He was very close to joining Manchester United um, about a year and a half ago now. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer pushing for that move as an alternative to Jadon Sancho when, when United failed to recruit him from Dortmund for the first time. Um, his strategy, his agent strategy has been very clear from that period onwards in that he was looking to get the best financial deal for the player and didn't much care where he ended up playing. 
Barcelona over the last couple of months have been briefing that they expected Dembele to sign a new contract on reduced terms that Xavi had persuaded him he was central to his plans and um, they were going to retain the player in, in a way that was favourable to them. That has now uh, deteriorated. Barcelona are, are stepping away from the idea that they are they're definitely going to be signing the player. As was explained to me, the agent strategy had been to string Barcelona along, uh, make them think he was going to sign a new contract uh, and continue to canvas for offers from other clubs uh, and wait until the summer when he's a free agent to, to maximise his earning potential. He's not against them staying at Barcelona, but it's clear that Barcelona will have to pay the market value of the player and the market value of the player when he is out of contract. So no surprise that Arsenal are being involved in those discussions. Um, if they are canny about it, they will realise that the aim here isn't um, for Dembele to further his career by choosing the perfect club to move to. The aim is to maximise his salary. And whether Arsenal are in the position to pay the most of, of the suitor clubs, I think, is questionable. Well, you did mention earlier that um, uh, salaries of uh, particular players are pretty cheap, i.e. a million euros or less. And, of course, you and I are much more than that. Um, so uh, for the transfer window podcast, so um, perhaps we should recruit Usman Dembele uh, to come on the podcast. Uh, if to, indeed... to not appear on the podcast because he was, he's pulled a muscle. <laughs> well, the good thing about doing a podcast is you don't have to do any physical work. <laughs> Just about talking. Um, it is the time to do hero and villain. And I am going to defer to Duncan to do his villain uh, before quoting my hero. Uh, and uh, Duncan, uh, you have mm, quite a familiar villain, I think. Uh, villains of the week, Manchester City. Um, why on this occasion? Well, they've just announced two new sponsorship deals. Um, with one common denominator. Um, one of them is with the Abu Dhabi renewable energy company, Mazdar, um, a company owned by Mubadla Investment Fund, which is basically a Abu Dhabi royal family um, vehicle, investment vehicle, of which um, a certain Khaldun Al-Mubarak, uh, Manchester City chairman, is the chief executive and managing director. And... Um, uh, as for Mazdar, uh, his sister, Razan Al-Mubarak, sits on the Mazdar board. The other new partnership is with the Emirates Palace Hotel, which is based, of course, in the United Arab Emirates. Um, interesting little test of the, the new Premier League associated party transactions there. Um, and quite amusing that Manchester City, who, uh, as we reported, voted against those new regulations, which were targeted at Newcastle United and Manchester City, have, uh, have basically put two fingers up to the Premier League and said, um, try and stop us. Now, I've heard a rumour. Is it true that um, you've been banned from UAE um, in terms of ever going there? 
not as far as I know, um, but I don't really have a great deal of ambition to go there. It's not doesn't strike me as one of the most. Sadly, I, I enjoy traveling around the world, but um, uh, it's never been high on my list of of, of places. Um, art, you know, skyscraper cities with with a great deal of heat, um, and a, I think you can say artificially inflated tourist market. Um, not on my personal list of priorities as travel destinations. Funny that. Um, <laughs> so my hero of uh, the week um, is Romelu Lukaku for his complete honesty in the interview that he gave some uh, five weeks ago in which he uh, was very honest and criticised uh the way that Thomas Tuchel has set up the Chelsea team and that he was unhappy uh, with uh, his role and indeed that if Inter had offered him a new contract, he would have preferred to have stayed there. And to be fair, um, having spent time in Milan, um, I would certainly agree with him on that. Uh, Certainly the food is better. Uh, than it is in London. Um, but then when um, questioned about those comments, he didn't deny them. And, of course, the uh, tradition in football, uh, whenever anyone gets criticised for what they've said, uh, is to say, oh, yeah, it was lost in translation, you know. I I said, you know, I said something and it, it was misinterpreted. So, um, so fair play to uh, Romelu Lukaku. Um, I mean, he has since said that he has settled that particular difference with the club, but he never denied what he said and um, certainly didn't say it was lost in translation. This has been, uh, of course, uh, where we brought you the news before it became news, um, as is our uh, way of working. And uh, please engage with us on our social media platforms. Um, We are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, Duncan is on at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. You can also find us on YouTube. Please just search Transformer Podcast and you can tune it in that way. We will be back, of course, uh, next week with all of the news before it becomes news. Uh, and until then, um, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.